Volvo, the Curator of Education, and on behalf of MOCA's staff and Board of Trustees, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the first Stephen Fleischman Lectureship featuring Cesar Pelley. which is organized on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of MOCA's beautiful facility. The lectureship honors the 25th anniversary of Stephen Fleischmann's tenure as museum director. Members of MOCA's Board of Trustees, who served during the last 25 years, funded this endowment to provide for an annual lecture by individuals who have made exceptional contributions to art and culture. Talks organized for the Stephen Fleischmann lectureship will be held each year in April and have free admission in recognition of the museum's dedication to providing access for opportunities for learning and enrichment. Tonight is also an Emoka Knights celebration. Emoka Knights are sponsored by Newcomb Construction Company and the Alexandra Company with additional support from Fresco and media support from Isthmus. Before introducing our special guest, we would like to recognize several individuals in the audience tonight for their crucial contributions to Emoka's building. Of course, Jerry Frouchy and Pleasant Rowland, who Steve will thank. Who Steve will thank in a few minutes. George Austin for spearheading the project. Ralph Jackson of Flatten Associates and Eric Lawson of Potter Lawson, who are architects of record. <laughs> Jim Yaley, representing the builders J.H. Findorf and Sons and the president of MOCA's Board of Trustees. <laughs> and especially Bill Butler of Pelly Cart Pelly, who worked tirelessly on the building's design. We're very fortunate to have as our distinguished guest, Cesar Pelli, who is joined on stage by Stephen Fleischman. Internationally respected as one of the most influential living American architects, Cesar Pelli has received numerous awards for recreating a body of work with lasting influence on the theory and practice of architecture. He believes that buildings should be responsible citizens and that the aesthetic qualities of a building should grow from the specific characteristics of each project, including its location, its construction technology, and its purpose. In search of the most appropriate response to each project, his designs have covered a wide range of solutions and materials. He has designed some of the world's tallest buildings, including the Petronas Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur and Hong Kong's International Finance Center, as well as major American landmarks such as the World Finance Center in New York and the Pacific Design Center in Los Angeles, and cultural venues here in the Midwest, including a music hall in Duluth, a public library in Minneapolis, a performing arts center in Grinnell, a theater school in Chicago, and of course, the Overture Center for the Arts and the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art. Cesar Pelli founded the firm Cesar Pelli & Associates, now known as Pelli Clark Pelli Architects in New Haven, Connecticut, and also served as Dean of the School of Architecture at Yale University from 1977 to 1984. He has written extensively on architectural issues, including his 1999 book, Observations for Young Architects, and has said, when we design a building, we participate in the never complete, 
imperfect, collaborative work of art that is a city, perhaps the most important work of art of any culture. Please offer Cesar Pelli and Stephen Fleischman a warm welcome. Well, uh, I have the great privilege of thanking two people in the audience, and I, I bet you have no clue <laughs> who I might be thanking. So I'll give you a few clues. Without them, there would certainly be no celebration tonight. Without them, Caesar Pelli would not be sitting here. They would have no connection to the city of Madison whatsoever. Without them, we would not have the Overture Center for the Arts and thriving resident groups that occupy the Overture Center. Without them, there would be no museum where we are welcoming you tonight and welcome some 200,000 people every year, free of charge to the community. And without them, Madison Skyline and downtown Madison would certainly not be as robust as it is today. So we cannot thank Pleasant Rowan and Jerry Frouchy enough or often enough for me. Great. But before we talk about Overture Center and your Madison project, I thought it would be nice to spend a few minutes reminiscing about your time in Argentina. Sure. (laughs) When when it was you first became interested in architecture uh, in Tucumán. Right. I I, I grew up in my early years in the city of Tucumán. A provincial capital. When I was a kid, when I lived there, it was about 140,000 people. Today it's about 700,000, so it's a very different city. But it was a lovely city. I could walk as a child, four or five years old, everywhere, return late at night. My parents never worried. It was a very, very safe place. Perhaps it wasn't for us. We all believed it was very safe, and, and that was enough for me. The, and uh, I grew up there, went to school there, and I, I went to the university there. And what is curious is in going to the university is that the, in Argentina the university is free. So all you need is a high school diploma and you are accepted. So that I... <laughs> <laughs> They are all supported by the federal government. And, and I, I have no idea what career to choose. I was 16 years old, but I had to choose a career. We, did not, we don't have the liberal arts program that we have here, which is fantastic. I think it's a great invention. It does not exist over there. still does not exist. 
and with my father, he was going over, what do you want to do? And he says, well, I don't know, perhaps, you know, I'll, I'll just study letters. He says, what are you going to do with your graduate? I have no idea. And then we kept on going, medicine, no, 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 dentist, you know. I said, how about architecture? I said, what's architecture? <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of it. It was totally new to me, but he read the program of studies that was about art, drawing, and, and, and history, all things that I enjoyed. And I said, well, well, I'll give it a try. So I, I entered in architecture, and I fell in love with it completely. So by the end of the first year, I knew that that's what I wanted to do all my life, and I still do. <laughs> it, it, it was a, an amazing coincidence. The school was brand new, about three years old. So it was a tiny school for the students who showed up every day. There must have been 30 students total. So it was a very intimate place. We, we became friends with all of the faculty members. It was a lovely, lovely place. Lovely moment for me to study. At the end of my career, I got married, and we decided we need to see the world, so we applied for our scholarship and came to the University of Illinois with my wife. <laughs> and we discovered after about a week we were here that she was pregnant. <laughs> and, we, and we had no money. <laughs> and, and the climate was just the same, right? Sorry? The climate was a little different. No, the, in, in, the climate in, in Tucuman was very hot. Tucuman was a, would be a, a, a lot like Houston here. <laughs> quite, quite hot and very humid in summer, lovely in winter. <laughs> so not quite like here or, or, or New Haven the truth is I couldn't stand the heat over there I couldn't stand it I much prefer this <laughs> I, I became an American very quickly I felt co so comfortable here from the beginning I felt more comfortable than I ever was over there I, 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 I can never say that in Argentina of course <laughs> They're, they're I, not listening right now. Sorry? They're not listening. No, no. <laughs> so, you had the opportunity to work with a very famous architect, Eero Saarinen. Right. Uh, and I'm curious to hear about your experience working with Eero. What was wonderful. This was in, in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, was his office. So, very identical climate to Madison. And uh, Eero was a wonderful man. Very quiet. He never talked, he never gave lectures or directions. He just did it. And we learned by watching him do it and the hard work that he put into trying to achieve great buildings. Because very quickly he reached a point where he had designed a very nice building that most architects would have been happy to build. But for him it was not enough. So he worked extremely hard late at night. And, and, and this was something that I, I, I immediately I understood. If you want to do great buildings, you really have to put a very extra effort, a super, super extra effort. And you have to keep on thinking about architecture all the time, which I do. I still do. And what was your involvement in, in his landmark building, the, the TWA terminal well, at I, Kennedy? I, I was in charge of the design group, actually, in a complicated way. Aero had finished the design 
without my, my participation and presented it to TWA. And they approved it. And they all went back home very happily. And Aero kept on looking at the model and the drawings and mulling and mulling and mulling until at the end he took the, picked up the telephone, called TWA and said, sorry, I showed you the design, but the design is no good. I have to start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and you could see the telephone going <laughs> exploding. He needed an extra year to redesign. And Eros, financial partner, Joe Lacey, was going white because he, we have spent all the money of the piece already and now he's going to see another year of spending money on this project without any income. But we, and at that point, Eros Harriman asked me to start working on one of the columns and eventually asked me to be in, in charge of the team that was working in the project. So I was very intimately involved for about two years in that project. So specifically, what can we trace back to you in that terminal? But what you can trace more directly are the entry columns, because that's how it started. When the model was built correctly, they discovered that the engineers did not, could not work with vertical columns, as Aero had assumed, but the columns had to be like this because of the, the shape of the domes and the wind and, and the snow forces. But if you just put two things like this, they look like somebody crossing his legs looks terrible. So, <laughs> so he, he asked me to give form to that set of forces that had to be accommodated. So working with the engineers, we don't we have a minimum amount of concrete in the, most, in the weakest part of such a square footage. And with that, I built a model about this size. Took me about two months just working there. I was alone on a space that we were renting on top of a gas station about <laughs> two, two houses away from Aerosalian's office because the office was already too, too, too crowded. And it was wonderful because I was left alone. I could really bally, do it and do it again. And it was all done at that time. With, I, I used file paper, the cardboard, that yellow paper that comes in files, very nice and sturdy and flexible, and took us cement. And that was how that model was built. And Errol liked it and said, terrific. Now how will the wall next to it look? So he put the vertical wall, looks terrible next to that. So, so he immediately started bending the wall. And that was his creativity. And eventually, we built a huge model about as high as this space here of the whole half of, of half of CWA. Then we put a mirror and it looked like the whole CWA was there. <laughs> and it was amazing because there were many things you could not see any other way but in a, in a large scale model. And, and, the, and the TWA was designed, there were pieces of the, of the model that were built and rebuilt and rebuilt until they just looked right. And that was only the beginning. Then we had to figure out how to put those, that information into drawings. <laughs> without, without computers. <laughs> so then you had a transition where they lured you to New Haven. Yes. Was married to Eileen Sarin, and she had been the first architectural critic of the New York Times. And she, she, she was a, a New Yorker 
which she could not live outside of the city. So she, I think, I think she, she, they never told us, but she just insisted so much. I thought we had to move near New York. But the, the agreement was we're going to look for a place that is at least an hour away from New York. Because Aero was very worried that if he was in New York itself, he's not. There were going to be visitors all the time that were going to interrupt his work and he couldn't stand that. So we had to be at least an hour away from New York, but no more than two hours because otherwise we'd be too far away. <laughs> and, and, and it had to be a town with a university a school, and a school of architecture so that the, the people working there had another life and the spouses of the people working there had a cultural environment. So the three towns that were selected were New Haven, Princeton, and Philadelphia. And, and somebody from the office came and looked at properties in all three places. And they found a, a nice old house owned by the Grace family. This was, this was cigar makers because Connecticut is Connecticut and Cameroon in Africa are the two places that make the best cigar wrappers. <laughs> in, in the world, so that there, is, there was a large fortune made on cigars in, in New Haven. So the graves have made one, and they built this huge palace-like brick in, in top of a hill, just outside New Haven and Hamden, which is, you, you never know that you are out of New Haven because it's all continuous, but it is technically in Hamden. And, and the, this was built, and the office was ready to move, Couple of, couple of the designers already had left in vacation to go and take with them, sending all of their, their, their belongings to New Haven from Bluefield Hills. When Aero started having very bad headaches, went to the hospital, they discovered he had a, a brain tumor and they had to operate him urgently and he died in the operating table. So he, he never moved from the Midwest to the East Coast. But the office did, because by then everything was set to go. So I went to the office and at that time. It was still called Aerosanera and Associates, but it was being run by Kevin Roach and John Dinkle and Joe Lacey. Joe Lacey was the financial partner. He was the primary owner of the firm when Aero died. And I was with them two and a half years until I went to the, to the West Coast. I went to work in Los Angeles first with a firm called DMJM, DMJM that now is called ACOM and has about 72,000 people. It's a, it's a horrendous development. <laughs> I think it's a terrible way to do architecture, but there are firms like ACOM and, and um, Jacobs Engineering have over 70,000 professionals, and they do everything from construction to management to financing to design. They do everything. And, and there are many clients that like just to have the whole deal in one hand and forget about it. But that was my old firm. Where I was with them four years, and then I, I was asked to join the firm of Gruen Associates. Gruen, Victor Gruen had just retired. He was forced retirement at 65 years old. He hated it that he had to retire and, and as a partner in charge of design. And I was uh, eight years with them. And then I was offered to go. And in the meantime, when I was in, in Hamden, I had been asked to teach a little at the School of Architecture by a great dean there, Paul Rudolph. 
So they knew me when I was in Los, in, in Los Angeles. They asked me two or three times to go back to teach a semester at the School of Architecture at Yale, which I did. And I guess they really liked me because then eventually they invited me to be able to go there as, as a dean of the school. And I knew New Haven. I knew the school. I had many friends there because the many friends had moved with the office of Ferros And so I came to New Haven towards the end of 19 of 1976, so almost exactly 40 years ago. So at, at Yale, of course, it was all about teaching. But well, teaching and running the school, which is, it, it actually takes more, more time and, and, and effort than, than teaching. Teaching was easy, running the school was easy. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the characteristics of your firm is it's very much engaged, it seems to me. We, we very much very involved with this. My, my, my partner here, Bill Butler, he, he, for how long did you take? How many years? 14 years. Sorry? 14 years. He took for 14 years drawing at Yale, freehand drawing. He, he, he is a fantastic draftsman. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, and uh, so, so that. Many, many other members of the firm have also taught, and they still teach there. So for me, that was a pleasure. I have always taught. I have taught in Los Angeles. I have taught in Tucumán. I have taught in Illinois. I have taught wherever I was. I always enjoyed teaching. My mother was a, a teacher, and she, she was very involved in education, wrote a couple of books on education. So that, that was in my veins. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about model building, because at your firm, everyone seems to build their own models. We, we still build a lot of models. Not near, we don't build any more. Oh, we'll build very few models as, as large as CWA or Ferrosarian. We, we built three or four of those, but not many. But we do build models. We build about 500, 600 models per project, including all of the things that we build models of. Because we don't all, we, build, we start with master plan models, different schemes, many of the design. Then we build models of interiors, of pieces of the building. So we build a great number of models. We also use computers. So we don't like for us, the computer has not replaced the drawing. They are complementary, and they are really it's a fantastic tool. To, both together are an incredible tool. You really know what you are doing. So some architects have a signature style. Oh, yes. <laughs> some architects have a purely healthy ego, well, and they like to impose <clears throat> their vision on a client and on a site. But, uh, so I talk think, about your philosophy. But I, I, I think that's partly ego and partly marketing. It's, 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 very, <laughs> it's very good for marketing if you, have a, if you have a signature, because many people come and want a building with a signature. They, do, they, they want, many people want to know what the building will look like approximately before the architect is hired. This is, this is quite common, unfortunately. But it's very bad for our cities because people build the same signature forms in Alaska, in the Congo, in, 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 in Madison, in, in, in Reykjavik. It's all the same. 
so that very quickly, and this is happening, this is not just one or two architects, these are dozens of architects are doing this. So, and the worst thing is that even kids, that without any name, they look at the things that have been done in the magazines and imitate them, and they do the same forms. So what is happening is, I think in, in, in 10, 20 years, all cities in the world are going to look the same. What a, what a disaster development. It's always such a pleasure to go to a city and discover another world, another way of seeing things, another way of living. And, and all of that is, is, is being lost. I think to me that's a, it's, a, it's a disastrous development, but it's impossible to combat the, the magazines, all of the, the, the media that publishes the buildings and promotes the architects, they all love the, 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 the signature buildings. They love it because it's easier to publish, it's easier to talk about, it's easier to write about. But I think it's a very bad development. So let's move to Madison. Okay, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> when Jerry and Pleasant first engaged you to work here, yes. what were the first thoughts that rushed through your mind about the site and about the opportunities and the very, challenges? Very first thought was a very difficult site. <laughs> very difficult site. A funny shape with a pointy end here about 10 feet difference in elevations from one end to another, and we had to fit this huge new hall that was desired, Overture Hall, right. as, and we tried many ways of putting those things in the site, and not, not easy. And it, it, it took a lot of work just to make things fit properly, and they don't need only to fit properly so they work, they need to fit properly so that they become a pleasant sequence of spaces. Like you have now, for example, as you come from the passageway as the entrance, and you come through the shops and go down slowly into your place in many steps. I think that's a very lovely sequence of movements as you have here. Or you enter at the museum, you finish in the museum, and you want to go to overtures, and you go up the same, go back. That's, that's a lovely thing. You know, much of architecture is experience in movements. We call it the procession inside the, the buildings. And, and that, and considering what the movements are, what the movements will do, is very important. And this is what took a long time to make it all work so that we had the pieces in place and there were agreeable ways to go from one place to another. And we had all the time, I think, for me, it was essential that we were pleasing Pleasant and Jerry, because they, they, they were the angels that were making this happen. This was amazing. That's an incredible thing that they, 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 they completely donated these things. Thanks to, to Pleasant's great creativity, she invented the American doll. <laughs> and I, 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 I believe the American doll is what paid for, for all of us. <laughs> And I cannot think of a better result of a, what a doll can do. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, how did you first approach the project when you began thinking about the, the we, we, we We built a, we, we, many drawings, and we had many drawings. We had dozens of possible organizations of the buildings. 
and we built models also trying to put those things in the right place. We, very, these were very crude models and very flexible models that we could change and, and they were changing form all the time. And, but before we could show something to Pleasant and Jerry, we needed something that worked. So it took a while to have something that worked completely and that we were happy with. So, and we, were, we had to save many elements here. So we, we had to save the entrance to Capitol Theater. We had to save the, the, the young Kesenich entrance. <laughs> that was not, and we had to save the Isthmus Playhouse, which is now just the Playhouse Theater. All of those were big chunks, immovable chunks in, the, in, the play, in place at the right level, at the right size. And, and, it, and fitting, fitting the large overture hall was extremely difficult, barely, barely fitted. So can you remember any examples of sort of beginning efforts, alternative plans? Oh, I, I, remember them, I remember them very clearly, which I require <laughs> moving. See, right, right now, the Overture Hall is at the end, parallel to the end street. What's the name of the end street? Buffett, yeah. And, and, but we, for a while, we had them diagonally, that we tried to fit the hall diagonally, so that it to be born where Capitol Theater is now. <laughs> and we had several, several op options. They all made some sense. No, no, no one made complete sense until slowly working. We had a very good team. We had great consultants. We were working with theater projects that always helped us plan a, a theater. And we work with, with a, a, a chap called Leatherman, very creative guy. And we work with Joseph Meyer of Kierkegaard Acousticians. And they also had ideas about what proportions the whole should have and how much you need of this or that. And, so, and we have actually very good associates here in, 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 in Madison. You know, we have Eric Lawson of Potter Lawson and Ralph Jackson of Flood, just terrific associates. And then and the construction, Kurt Hastings of Findorf was fantastic. Right. You know, we were very, very lucky with the people we were working with here. And we have other consultants that were essential. All of them participated. The building would be different without any one of them. We had Francesca Bettridge that did the lighting, and she really worked very hard to create those lamps that you have in the space and the canopy entrance, that sort of thing, feel like a theater entrance. And, and uh, we work with uh, even color, color consultant, Donald, Donald and Tati Kaufman, and they, they, those were fantastic meetings, because they met with, with Pleasant, and Pleasant has a good color sense, as Donald Kaufman has. <laughs> I, was, I was amazing, amazed how sophisticated the sense of color and proportion of the pleasant hair. <laughs> so that was our, those were endless discussions. We had somebody painting chips and modifying the color and little putting it back in the model again in our, in, in our, in our office in New Haven. <laughs> and I remember the, the dome that sits on top of Overture. How many variations there were of that? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I have to ask you about that, John. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like crazy. <laughs> 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 Everybody was talking and why are the Fauci's letting him do that? And 
understand that we all agree that was the best film. It was almost to the end of building this project that I walked into the rotunda. One afternoon, by myself. And you were correct in Donald Kaufman. He's a color expert. When we first met in the very first meeting, we said one thing, that the Capitol Dome here on the Isthmus could not be second to anything. You had to subsume whatever you were going to design so that the capital was always the capital. Right. And so Gilbert Cup came to be. Yes. <laughs> now it didn't compete. So now I'm walking through by myself and I look up and the capital dome is inside the yogurt cup. <laughs> now that is self architecture. It, 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 it is true. She, she kept on telling us this and we worked very hard. And the Capitol Dome is very present inside the Overture Hall. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we just worked very hard. And, 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 we, and, and, we, and we have models. We have models where we could see that. <laughs> I'm always going to see a yogurt cup from now on. <laughs> there it is. So you had the opportunity to walk through the museum a little bit earlier today. What were your impressions 10 years later? And a well, little corollary question, is well, there anything you'd like to change? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I'll ask, I'll ask the, the last question first. I, I never think of changes after the building is built. Sorry, the first day when, when I visit the building, all I can see are the mistakes. My God, how could we have done that? And how, oh, they made a mistake. They made a note. Somebody needs to correct that. What in the hell is doing that? <laughs> <laughs> if things appear that you don't expect that will show up, you know, they, will, they, they, will, they will put loudspeakers or, or smoke detectors right in the wrong place, and, <laughs> and, and we try to have them change as much as possible. So that for the, the first few days after construction, yes, I, I worried about everything. But after that, I, it's perfect as far as I'm concerned. I don't change anything. <laughs> it's, no, you, can, you can't live on changing. You, can, you cannot live changing the, your buildings in your mind all the time. No, that's too, too unstable. <laughs> I, I, need, I need solid points of reference for my design. <laughs> but but I, I, I'll tell you that. When I came here and walked through the Orchard Center and your museum, what most impressed me is how impeccable everything is. It looks just finished. You, you have all done a fantastic job of maintaining this, this place. This, this hall was looking just finished, and that's when we saw it empty. It's amazing. My congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the, the museum is much larger now. The show that is now Frank Stella is a fantastic show. It's a really a show that any, any museum, any art museum in the world would love to have. Well, 
thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so there are very widely varying philosophies about museum design. Every, every architect wants to build a museum. It, it's a great thing to do, a great thing for the portfolio. But, <laughs> but um, he's, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> but some architects take a philosophy that it's about the building first, and the building should dominate. And when you can't approach this project... No, no I, I never believe that. I believe that the function is the most, most essential, particularly the function of the spirit of the museum has to be carefully conceived. But I must confess, we have very little room to play with, so that, so that the, the spaces you got, many of them were just whatever you got, not what we, we wanted, but whatever space we could, we right. could create. Whatever you could carve because out of the block. You know, the, the, the whole block is very crowded, very tightly packed. <laughs> yeah. but, very, but very much loved. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We, see, the important thing, we did all of this with great love. This, this love started with Pleasant and Jerry. They, they, truly, this was an act of love for them. And he made it an act of love for all of us working here. This was, you know, I tried to work with love in all of, most of my projects, but this was truly an act of love for every, everyone working on this project. And, and I, it was amazing because I could see everybody that participated being engaged to that level in this project. This was love for, for the city, love for Overture, love for the museum. So other than your own museums, are there any museums in particular that have had an impact on you? No, you think not, about? Not, not necessarily. This is a very modest museum, as I'm sorry to say, Stephen. <laughs> but but uh, it, no, very, very happy with it. Very happy with, with it. You know, What's and, uh, your favorite one? Sorry? What's your favorite museum? Oh, my favorite museum? Oh, difficult to tell. I'm very fond of the, of the freak because it's stable and changing. Very calm, and when I go there, sometimes I'm just by myself, and I love that, being just by myself. I love what the Met does. I love the variety that the Met does. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh, the, I love the Art Institute in Chicago. It's also fantastic. It's just a pleasure to, to go there. And interestingly, I, like, I don't care much for the or the Tate Modern as a museum. I love the shows they put in, but not as a museum. But I love the Tate Britain. I think it's quirky, old, and, and funny, but I like that quirkiness. It just works very well. And the, and the collection of turners that they have is uh, heavenly. <laughs> so you like some of the older museums is really what it's sounding like. Well, as I said, the freak is pretty old, so is the Tate, Tate Britain. They're both very old, yes. No, I like some of very old museums, yes. And I love the museums in, in Florence, and they couldn't be older. <laughs> what, what would you say the greatest satisfaction was that you derived from working on this block? Well, truly, the greatest satisfaction in, as at the end was pleasing pleasant. <laughs> <laughs>
Jerry was easy to please, but Preston, <laughs> but Preston was difficult. <laughs> I, I, I think you should be more open. <laughs> I am being very open, perhaps too open. <laughs> As you look back at, at your architectural career, and I ha if I ask you, and don't tell me Overture Center, we're just going to remove that because we know that's your favorite project. <laughs> but if it weren't your favorite project, what would be? Well, I, I see, I, I, for me, my buildings are like my children, so uh, I really try very hard not to have favorites. I cannot. <laughs> Not to have favorites. Oh, I love them all the same amount for many different reasons. Just like my children. Well, then give me a clue about an aspect of a project that you really think shines. <laughs> no, well, I, there are many projects that I have done that I'm very, very, very fond of. Very fond of the library in, 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 in Minneapolis. Very fond of the building. <laughs> Primarily the interior, I like it, I love it, it came out very well and it's very successful and people of Minneapolis are also love the building. And that's, that, those are things that are important to me. It's really, something has to do with how people then take the building that affects how I feel about it. It's not just a thing in itself. See, the buildings have to do with the life of people. And, and, the, and if they affect the life positively, that helps me enormously. I have done that. I like that house, too. That's a very, <laughs> very lovely house in, 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 in Jackson. Have you, have you done a lot of domestic projects? No, very, very few. Only four, only four homes, all very different from each other in different parts of the, of, the, of the country, in Washington, in Bethesda, in Jackson Hole, in, 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 uh, in above Pebble Beach in California, and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting, oh yes, and one in, in, uh, in, Northern, in Northern California, yes. Nice. That's well, it. <laughs> <laughs> but you never built a home for yourself. No, 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 that would be too much. <laughs> no, my God, I, I, it would be awful to be living inside my house and making, oh my God, this isn't working, I have to... <laughs> no, I, I, we, we, we bought a 1915 house and I feel comfortable changing, cutting a hole here. I, <laughs> I'm not the author. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very bad idea to live inside the building you, you decide. <laughs> Have you told Frank Gehry this? <laughs> no, Frank Gehry, I, I, mean, I, I like Frank, we've been friends for about 60 years now, 50 years. But Frank and I have very different views of architecture. Of architecture. <laughs> I think he's, what, what he does is fantastic, I really admire Frank. But I, I'm not interested in doing what Frank does. It's clear. <laughs> <laughs> should, we, 
Should we take a few questions from the audience? Sure, of course. But you'll have to help me because I, I don't hear very well. Okay, I'll repeat the questions. The facade of, of Josh Gesenich? No, this was, this was requested by the city. We, at the beginning, they were also requesting that we save another building in the corner of Mafia. But that, fortunately, that was released because it was impossible to fit the theater there with that request. And that was, but I accept that I think, I think keeping things of the past and Tying them with what is new, it's very healthy. I, I think it's wonderful to, to, to remember that that was the entrance to a very important department store here in Madison. I think particularly Kessenich. Ke, 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 ke. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a, very important, a very important department store in town. But I think it's nice to remember that and, and tell your kids like, what it was. Ah, I, I may have felt tempted to take tear it down, but I'm glad I <laughs> but, Because it's not much of a building, it's not much of a facade. And, and there was an interesting problem. They had this great entrance, but when you enter, you enter into, two, into a very low floor. That's crazy. This is a ridiculous design. So we, we made a large vertical space commensurate to the large arch entrance of the whole place. And now it works, but it didn't before. <laughs> Cesar? I'd like to get your opinion on the Sagrada Familia in uh, Barcelona. What in Barcelona? The, the Sagrada Familia. Sorry? In, in the cathedral in Barcelona. Oh, I, I, I think well, I, I, I love what Gaudi did. I think it's extraordinary. And I must say, I thought it was terrible what the chap, I can't remember, Tapies, I believe is his name, who completed the design. But I visited it a couple of times, the last, the last one about three years ago. Uh, and uh, to me, it's, it's not what Gaudi would have done, or he doesn't have the power that Gaudi would have given it, but it's fairly successful as a public place as a cathedral. It feels like a very creative, unique piece of art into architecture. So I believe that Barcelona is very lucky to have that place in their midst. And to have just kept the building unfinished, that's rather sad for the for a city. So I'm glad that they finished it. Well, that's an interesting question, but, because, but the truth is that there is very little difference today in construction technology. A building built in Santiago, Chile, or in, 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 a, in Shanghai, China, or in Tokyo, or, in, or in, in Spain, the technology is very similar, very, very similar, very little difference. You know, they, they used to be more different when we started working, but they, they have tended to become more, more alike. They, 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 
when we started working in China, the glass walls that the Chinese were producing were very low quality. Today they are just as good as those that we produce here. But it's it's a it's the, the technology of construction and development of those products, he just moves very freely through the world. Any more questions? Well, seeing none, do you, do you, well, there's one back there. About what time period did you design the overture within? Oh. It was finished ten years ago, and we worked on it about total of about five, 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 six years. So that we must have started around around two thousand. You know what the job number was? Nine ninety four. So, sorry, we started in nineteen ninety nine. And it was yes, way in the back. Have you ever designed a church? Have you ever designed a church? We designed, yes, we designed a, a, a church for Xavier University in New Orleans. It's a Catholic <coughs> university that is mostly, mostly black students, although it's open to all, all, all creeds and all, all races, and uh, run by an incredible chap. The, 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 uh, no, Norman, well, I don't remember the whole name, it will come to me. But we designed a chapel for them of about 650 people and following all of the precepts of Vatican II, which I found they were extremely clear and democratic and wonderful. They, the Vatican II called for the churches not to be linear, going towards the altar at the end because that's very the, the aristocratic way of building. The church, the church that we design is, is, a, is an octagon and the, the altar is in the middle so that the, the congregation looks at each other and they claim according to, to Pope John XXII they, 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 the point is that the church is not the building but is the congregation that's what they claim and I, I'm not a practicing Catholic but I thought all of those were were things that I could understand and share. So we, it's, it's a very, I'm very happy with it. It's a very handsome building, and it feels, as soon as you enter, it feels a very religious building, whatever your religion may be, but you feel that you are in a religious space, in a sacred space. How did you determine that you wanted to work on we are working in whatever comes to us if it makes sense <laughs> and, uh, and, this, and this made a lot of sense to us so this was very appealing from the beginning oh my god, a collection of theaters a museum, it's fantastic these are, these are the kind of projects that all architects love to design yes for the course of your career how many buildings I was asked how many buildings I have designed that are standing. Very good question because several of my projects are not standing anymore. <laughs> when you consider cities in the world like Kuala Lumpur and Shanghai developing very fast, what advice would 
advice would you give to the city planners and buildings there? Well, I, I think it's a serious problem to have buildings grow very fast that they are growing today, particularly in places like Malaysia or China. They are growing much too fast with no, and the city has no character, and it has, they tend to not build enough public spaces. As the building grows slowly, then parks, plazas, the up, up, uh, squares appear, but not in the cities that are growing today so very fast. So these are not as humane or as livable places, and they, and they don't have character because they, they are built cookie-cutter, you know, you build 20 of the same tower, one after another. That's disastrous, a very, very bad way of building. It, it accomplishes the, the purpose of housing people, but it's a way, very by way of creating cities. You're very lucky in Madison that has grown slowly and has able to absorb the new buildings and they relate to the old. We are also lucky in New Haven. Thank you so much for coming tonight. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you here. My pleasure is being here. My pleasure is being here. I have great admiration for Steve as a director of a museum. He has done wonderful things for this. And somehow he captures very well the spirit of Madison, although he's not born in Madison. Today is about you and your accomplishment here. <laughs> Thank you.